an, a couple announcements here for you real quick. There's a, we, we should all, uh, there's a brown Ford F-150 with its front driver's side window just begging somebody to come and break into your car. Right out, it's right out here in the front. So if that's you, you might want to run out there and roll your window up. And uh, real quick, the picnic, the family picnic is happening this Saturday. I hope you're planning on coming. Uh, Jim uh, Smith has been part of our fellowship for I don't know how many years. I've known Jim for many years. And uh, he is the one that loves to make barbecued pulled pork. And every year he brings it to the picnic. And this year he's going to bring enough for you. So you better show up and uh, bring a side dish. And, and just fellowship with the church. We're going to meet right here at the Highland Park. It's not very far from here. It's a really nice new facility. Very, uh, It's really nice. So you, you won't be disappointed if you come. It's from 12 to 4 this Saturday. And as a reminder, we made these little flyers. You can grab one of these as you exit the building tonight. But we'd love to have you come out. And uh, that should be a really good time. And also, um, Sharon Starkweather, just a real quick update. Her... Uh, Home is being sold, and she is in a care facility, but there's a lot of stuff left over in her home, and they're trying to sell it all. Uh, and they're asking the church to sh just come on by and see if there's something you might want. It's a big yard sale Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And here's her address. Just I'll throw it out, and if you need it, you can come get it from me. It's 556 West 29th Street here in San Bernardino. Really nice house. She's selling her home, and and everything, and the ladies in the church have been working so hard with her son to help kind of finalize that part of her life so that she can, as a stroke victim, get the care that she needs. So if you want to help out, uh, Maddie's here tonight. You, I'll introduce you to Maddie, and she can help you with that. Uh, but they're, they're helping her. And so we're praying for Sharon and, and her son and, and all that's going on there. Well, we're here to study the Word tonight, so I, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 17. Chapter 17, if you haven't been with us, we have been studying verse by verse through this Old Testament book. We've actually, in the last few years, been studying through the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus. We studied Leviticus on Sunday night, and now we're in Numbers here on Wednesday night. I, I really enjoy our Old Testament study as much as the New um, and looking forward to uh, each time we get together, but uh, we're in chapter 17, and uh, you might remember this section. It's a real well-known section because uh, it's the section that really defines who the children of Israel are. There are a bunch of whining, grumbling, complaining unbelievers. That's why we can associate, right? We can really identify with these people because it's really us. I see myself in here all the time, uh, complaining and murmuring and whining about well, this and that in my life, and, and we're, we really do, we can associate so much with these people, but you recall back in chapter 14, it was the, the, the spies that had gone into the land. The children of Israel were right on the border. They were 10 days' journey from Mount Sinai, about to go in, but because of their unbelief, because of the bad report of the ten spies, the whole nation, not some, but the majority, the whole nation, because of their unbelief, was turned away from Canaan, the promised land, and, and, and sent back into the wilderness, kind of disciplinary action by God because they were not believing. God is training them 
to believe him and to trust in him and to obey him. And so they're, they're sent back, they're kicked back into the desert. And as they go back there, they start complaining about their leadership. It began with Moses' own family, his sister Miriam and his brother, the high priest Aaron. And they complained. And that wasn't enough. The, the nation around them is complaining. And you'll recall that, that just uh, uh, last time we were together, we see the complaint of Korah. Now, we all know Korah was the one that was killed and the earth swallowed him up because of his rebellion. But did you know that he was first cousin to Moses? He was his first cousin. I mean, so that, again, this is family rebellion. And then many of the children of Israel have, have been a part of it. They all had leaders. We should be the priests. We should be doing this. Why is Aaron the priest? Why is Moses running things? I mean, these, these people are whining and complaining about every little thing. Um, we could have called last week's study Mutiny in the Desert because that's really what it was. The people were complaining, and they were really rebelling against God's appointed leadership. They rejected God's appointment of Moses and Aaron as priests. And God, in this passage that we're going to study tonight, chapter 17, is going to come back now and give encouragement to Moses and Aaron because they've been, they've been slammed, they've been slandered. We don't want to follow those two. How come we have to follow those two? And God really dealt with the rebellion. But can you imagine being Moses and Aaron, the whole nation? We don't want to follow them. It's them we don't want to follow. We're better priests than Aaron. Why did, we, why did you pick him, God? And so they would have been kind of in a low, I would think, you know, the whole nation's against you. You might have your family against you, but what about the whole nation against you? And so God is going to encourage them. They're faithful. They have mistakes. They've made mistakes, but, but they're faithful. And so God is going to use this miraculous sign, and we all know the story, right? We, we know this story. But he's going to use this miraculous sign in the hand of Aaron, where this dead stick comes to life. Not only comes to life, it bears fruit. It's incredible. It's a miracle. Proving that God has chosen Aaron beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's really what this section is about, this miraculous sign that validates the priestly ministry of Aaron and God's choice of Aaron and Moses to lead his people. So this this chapter really does validate that. It's a section of uh, a passage of scripture that you know very well. It's the budding of Aaron's rod. That's the section that we're looking at tonight in chapter 17. So with that intro, let's ask God's blessing and we'll study his word together. Father, we're grateful to be able to come before you and, and to worship freely tonight. How refreshing it is, Lord, to get our eyes on to you after a, a, a day in the world, a day at work, a day away from the fellowship. How sweet it is, Lord, to, to come in and, and hug our brothers and sisters, to, to encourage one another in our, our walk with Jesus. I pray that you would speak to us through your word that you've spoken. You would teach us, Lord, from this episode that we're reading, this historical account that we're reading tonight, and bring application to us, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Again, remember, we're reading about these stubborn people. They're disobedient. They're unbelieving. 
And I want to just throw a, a New Testament scripture to give context to what we're studying, but Paul in 1 Corinthians, he uses this section of the Old Testament for our encouragement as New Testament believers. Notice what he says behind me on the screen. He says, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written about for our admonition. When you read that section of scripture, he's talking about the complaints that came out of the the mouths of the children of Israel, these two million wanderers. They're in the wilderness. They've been rejected because of their unbelief from going into the promised land. They're back to wandering, and they're whining and complaining and grumbling. And so Paul says, we're not to do that. As New Testament believers, don't complain like the Old Testament saints. Don't do that. Their story is written for our encouragement. They're an example to us about what we should not be doing. That's what he's saying here. They're a bad example, so don't follow them. And now as we come to chapter 17, we go from chapter 16, which was rebellion and judgment and all the death that happened there in chapter 16 to God now showing his mercy to his chosen leadership, Aaron and Moses, by doing this wonderful sign that confirms his choice of Aaron. If you look really quick, I I guess I need to show you this. Go back to verse 41 of chapter 16, and look what it says. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Remember what happened. These people that were rebelling, the 250 that were chosen, they were given censures, you know, and okay, we're going to have this battle here between Aaron and his priestly duty of the censure, and you guys think you can be priests? Okay, go grab a censure, and let's, let's put you up against the Lord. And remember what happened? They, I guess the censures just really ignited because they all burnt up. They were completely destroyed. And then God used the brass, remember, to collect it and make a lid for the barbecue, the, for, the, for the altar, as an example for the nations or for the generations to come. Very interesting story, but the reason, because they were complaining, so God judges them. And, and the, the judgment was against those that said, we can be priests like Aaron. So that's how we, we move into this section tonight. Again, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 16, it's Dathan, Abram, the sons of Eliab, were the ones that said, to Moses, no, we're not going to come and talk to you about it. We're going to stay in our tents, and we're going to moan and complain. And they're the ones that Moses ran into the camp and said, you guys better back away, move your tent away from these guys, because there's three families that got swallowed up, as you recall, because of their disobedience. So the people, they're complaining against God's choice and Aaron as priest. And now God is confirming that. We begin in chapter 17 with my first note here, God's established test. God gives a test. Verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders according to their father's houses. Twelve rods, right? Twelve, twelve sons of Israel. So you have the 12 rods representing the whole nation. Write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. 
Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. So God wants it brought into the tabernacle. I'm thinking of like a little bucket, you know, like an umbrella bucket where everybody puts their umbrellas in. And you have all these dead sticks that have the names of these fathers, of the leaders of each tribe, including Aaron. Now, Aaron's included in this, and his stick, his dead branch, his walking stick, you can call it, whatever you want to call it, is, is put in there as well. And it shall be, verse 5, that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So God is telling this information to Moses. And he's saying, you know, I'm, I don't like hearing the complaints either, Moses. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this test out there. So God has always, if you've noticed so far in these, these stories, these wonderful stories that we're reading in Numbers, he's always including the people. They have a choice. They have a choice in every one of these stories, and he's giving them another choice. And this way, he's going to show, he's going to prove who he has chosen. Now, the Hebrew word for rod is matah. It's a very interesting word that also is translated tribe. So this rod is representing the tribe, and this word, it really kind of brings together what God is doing. He's going to judge these tribes by using the rod, and he's going to make that one rod it's going to blossom. That's his way. This is his test there. The, the tribe represents a, a small part of the whole. The branch or the, the uh, rod here, in order for it to bear fruit, has to be connected to the vine, as we know. You know, we trim different plants and roses and whatever to make them blossom and fruit and, and grow. But if they are cut off and they're not connected to the vine, then they won't bear fruit. They won't. And so this becomes this illustration here. It's a beautiful illustration that, that I'll make application in the New Testament in a moment. But you can see where I'm going here. The, the tribe has to provide its own rod or its branch. And they have to bring it before the Lord to be reconnected to the Lord, but only one's going to get reconnected and only one's going to blossom and bear fruit, the one that's connected to the Lord. Sound familiar? If we want to bear fruit for God, there has to be a connection. God's provided the connection for us, but there has to be a connection. And here's God's plan here. This is God's established text. God asks each tribe to provide their own rod. And I, I'm thinking, I, I first my my thought was this today when I was studying, why would he do that? Well, my thought is that he did that so the tribes can't come back and say, you know, you sabotage the, tr the rod. The, they're the ones that brought the rod. They brought the stick. So maybe they brought one because they know it's supposed to blossom. They brought one that might be new. It might be have, still have green in it. You know, it might be a green stick. They just cut off a bush. But this way... Because they're bringing the rod for the test. They can't come back to Moses and Aaron later and accuse them of, of giving them some kind of bad deal, you know, sabotage of some kind. So, again, this test is public. All 12 rods from the different tribes, sticks from the different tribes. It's a public display. Everybody knows what's happening here. And God's going to put this on display. In other words, God is choosing publicly 
those he desires to lead the nation. God is involved in this choosing. And I love this truth here. God doesn't put tests in local church bodies or, or church organizations anymore, but God does choose the leaders. I truly believe that that God is the one that has to choose. And, it, and when God doesn't choose, boy, is there all kinds of problems, and primarily in liberal theology and, and teaching and doctrine of the organization. They get way out there. They, get, they, they, go, they follow the world. They, they do whatever's popular rather than staying with the truth of God's word, the unshakable truth of the word. So God is the one that chooses, even in churches today, God chooses I love this verse, one of my favorite verses as a pastor. It's Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, God himself gave some to the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's God who chooses the leader. God knows who he wants for his church. He knows who he wants for the leadership. I've heard just recently there's a brother from our church that is is in another church in a different state, and they're just really struggling because their pastor had left. And the church is large, and it's very affluent. It's in a really nice area. It's doing really well, and they've had pastors come in and leave and come in, and they're they're kind of this pastoral committee that's looking at these people. They're trying to select someone for their church, but there's it's not going very smoothly. They've been about a year and a half in the process. They still don't have a pastor. And I would just guess that it's because they're looking for someone that has their credentials in mind. They're looking for someone that possibly has uh, an education in Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, It's a good thing. I wish I had more Bible education. I have not gone to seminary. I hope that doesn't surprise you. I told a guy that the other day. Um, that had been to our studies, and he said, what seminary did you go to? I said, I didn't go to seminary. I went to John Miller's seminary for 25 years. I was in this church, and I studied through the Word over and over again, and I've read the Bible on my own, and and my pastor, who is still my pastor, John Miller, taught me how to teach the Word. I learned that from his example. And then I believe that God chooses people and places them in those places of leadership in his church. God does that. If man tries to do it, we really muck things up. We really mess things up. But God has a purpose, and I love that. If God chooses you, can I just say, if God chooses you for the ministry in any capacity, then do it with all your might. Just do it with all, whatever it is, however you view it, small or large, it doesn't matter. Just do it with all your might. Because he'll use you. And he'll never have you do something that he hasn't equipped you to do or he won't provide for you to do. Because he's God. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't choose the wrong person. God won't put you in a place that he also won't equip you for. It's really important for us to understand that. This Sunday night, I'm going to finish our study in Hebrews. And this verse applies to our study tonight. Notice behind me on the screen, Hebrews 13. May the God of peace make you complete in every good work to do as well, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. You don't learn that in church. You don't learn that in seminary. You learn that through doing. And then God comes 
And he is the one that gives you the work and the service and his will and his desire to, to please him. I, I've been around enough to see people reject their calling. It's really sad. It's really sad. There's a few in my mind, and I just keep praying for them. I just keep praying for their, you know, they leave the church and they're bitter or they, you know, you know them because you love them. They're your friends and they're just out there. And it's like, oh, man, you had this great ministry. Why'd you give it up? So God calls us and God equips us and God uses us. And here in chapter 17, God designs this test that has this miraculous conclusion. This is the test. And it shall be, verse 5, that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. And here's the reason. Verse, at the end of verse 5, Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you, Aaron. They're making these complaints against you, Moses. God is doing two things. He's building up Moses and Aaron because they've been rejected big time by the whole nation. Two million people have rejected them. I mean, that's... Big deal. And then he's also selecting whom he will choose here. All this grumbling and complaining of these people. God is going to do a miraculous sign. Again, I, I love that truth. The best way to overcome any kind of complaining spirit that you or I might have is to just accept the will of God by faith. You might not like the path God's chosen for you, but you need to accept it by faith and, and, and not grumble and not complain and believe God's bigger than and just go with the flow and, and cry out to him and trust him and put your faith in him and let him lead and guide you. That's really what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, do all things without complaining. I love this verse. It'll pop up on the screen in just one second. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you see that? See what we, we, we corrupt the testimony of Jesus Christ when we whine and complain. But we exalt the Lord when we become, in the eyes of the people around us, even if we're beat down a little bit, but we have smiles on our face and we just go with the flow because we believe in a God that's more powerful and that God is going to be glorified. It's a, it's a mark that all of us should strive for as Christians, complain, complaining less and less, to be at peace with all men and stop murmuring. And that's exactly what God is teaching these people. And he does it using this miracle. Look at what happens here in verse 6. Sticks in the sanctuary, I call it. Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each one of their leaders gave him a rod, a piece, for each leader according to their father's house, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So these sticks now are placed before the Lord. God is going to make his judgment. God is going to do his miracle. And the, the question is, why the 12 dead sticks? Again, like a walking stick or a, a carved stick, you know, when you go on your vacation this summer, 
You know, guys are really big on this. They'll find a stick, you know, and they'll carve it, and then they keep it with them in their tent, you know, and sleep with it for days. This is my stick. And here we have these these dead pieces of wood here. Because God's going to do a miracle, and he's going to make one of these alive. A normal staff is dead. It's a dead piece of wood. You carve it, but it's completely dead. The staff of Aaron blooms because it's attached to the life source. And how is it attached? It goes into the temple, and God's going to attach it to his life source. There's so many wonderful uh, implications here, but one of the main applications I see is found in John 15. Notice the scripture behind me where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? We need to be connected. We need to be connected to the Lord. It's, it's more important for you as a believer to be connected spiritually, praying, reading the word, seeing yourself as part of the body of Christ rather than just the lone ranger out doing their own thing. I, I mean, I've, I've learned enough. I can do whatever I want. I can be a part of what God is doing. Be connected. I think even in the fellowship, you should be connected Christians that are out there, they're unsupported. There's no one there to, to encourage them, to help them out, like with our, brother, or our brothers and sisters that, that are sick and fall from time to time. And we can lift them up and we can help them because they're part of the fellowship. I love this verse in John 15 because it proves that God wants his children to be alive. He expects us to be alive and connected to him in order that we might bear fruit for his kingdom. Spiritual leadership in the church, it's recognized by life and fruitfulness. And you can't have that unless you're connected. And we all need to be connected together for that life. Esther and I were talking tonight about that, about how how we just love the young believers in our fellowship that are so excited to be here. And, and, and I, I'm an older believer in the fellowship, meaning I've been here for years. I've been here in this church since 1979. And so you can become kind of sloppy and whatever, we're friends, okay, hi, hee I know, whatever. <laughs> Instead of really being excited about coming, because the younger believers, listen, don't tell you, when the younger believers come in here, they're pumped. I can't wait to get to church. I'm excited about being here. And the olders are saying, yeah, you'll get to be old like me one of these days, you know. We need to be connected. We can all learn from one another. We can feed off of each other as well. I just want to be a person that's connected with God. That's all I want. I want to be connected with the believers in a fellowship so that God can bear fruit through us. And he does it through individuals, but he does it through a church. God is glorified through people that come together. He wants to produce fruit, and he does that through connection with Jesus. Jesus is the vine. He's the root. You can't have any fruit if you're disconnected from the root. You have to have that connection. Notice what happens here. This is miraculous. I call it Aaron's almonds. You'll see why. Verse 8. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, that rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds had produced blossoms. So there's buds, 
There's blossoms that yielded ripe almonds. Not just almond shells, but ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel to publicly display them. And they looked, and then each man took its rod. I'm sure the other guys, Jaime or whoever, you know, they grab their rod. Yeah, this is mine. It's got my name on it. And they're, they're looking for any sign of life. Nothing, nothing. And here, Aaron's rod looks like a bush. It's bearing fruit. There's almonds on it. I mean, it's incredible. It's, I mean, you see pictures and you see a little rod with a little leaf on the end of it. That's not what the Bible describes here, is it? Buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds. That's what it says. I mean, it's, this is miraculous. This is undeniable. All Moses has to do is hold that up, and, and millions of people can see it. Well, maybe hundreds of thousands at a time as they walk by. They can all see the rod, and it's green. This dead stick is now miraculously changed, and it, there's life in it. I love that. Not just alive, but it's fruitful. There's fruit coming out of it, almonds growing on it. Can I just stop here for application and say that fruit in the believer's life, fruit in my life and in your life is proof that you're connected to the vine. Amen? When you're not connected to the vine, you're not going to bear fruit. Realizing that I can't do anything without being connected to the vine is really important for me as a Christian because there are times that I, like you, wander. We wander. And instead of being connected all the time, we wander because of the distractions and the difficulties and trials of life. But we need to walk by faith and be believing and trusting in the Lord and not complaining and be connected to the vine so that we, as believers, can bear fruit. Fruits is simply the byproduct of a growing plant. It's the natural result of God working in your life. So God, here and with his story, and the rod that's budding has vindicated Moses and Aaron in public. He's saying, uh, excuse me, you guys don't choose your priests. I choose who I want to serve me. And he made it abundantly clear and public in that display of that rod that budded. And when you couple this account with chapter 16 and realize that God displayed judgment on those that thought they were priests. Remember the 250, the censures? They thought they could be priests, and they died. Korah thought he should run the whole nation. He's better than Moses. He's no longer there. He got swallowed up, him and the rest of his family. But now, through the power of God, we have this display and vindication of the man Aaron as a priest and Aaron or Moses as the leader of the nation and everyone would know I I whenever I read the story of God producing fruit it just touches my heart cuz I want that don't you want that don't you want to produce fruit and I was thinking about young believers in a fellowship. They're, they're the ones that are really exciting. We need to get, all of us need to go out and share Christ and bring back more young believers so we have this life in our church and not all us old, crusty, moldy guys. We need to do our best to, to do that. 
and, and, and our church will grow. And, and I'm not just talking about growing because I want to see more people here because I want to have a church that's growing. I want to see the kingdom growing. I want to see it. people count to the Lord. And we need to be bearing fruit for his kingdom and for his purposes. And it's, it's exciting. Whenever I drive to Mountain Grove or I go down the 10 freeway out here on my way around the valley, I look down and I see orange trees. You see orange trees. And if you're driving, I went to the hospital the other day and I went out uh, California Street, I think it was, and you go through orange groves. Uh, houses are getting built there now, but there's still some orange groves. And as you drive by, I stopped and I was looking. There's oranges on that tree. It just makes you want to go pick them. It makes you want to go get one of those oranges. Listen, as a Christian, I want to bear fruit so people want to stop and see. I want to bear fruit so I can say, look what the Lord has done. And I want to see the Lord. I, I know I've talked to other pastors, and I know it's their heart to, to have their church be fruitful. We can have fruitful families, and, and, and that's awesome. We can have fruit in our lives, but fruit collectively as a church is, is something really dynamic. It happens when God chooses the leader, and then people surrender and yield and stop complaining. And, and believe me, this study has nothing to do with this church. We don't, you guys don't complain, and, and, I, and let's keep it that way, okay? I, don't, I, I rarely hear complaints. I really do. And I'm so grateful for, for your heart and your desire to please the Lord. But we as a church need to be bursting with spiritual fruit. The kind of fruit that Paul wrote about in Galatians 5. Look at this scripture behind me. You know it. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Here it is. Here's spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's not any murmuring, complaining, or whining among spiritual fruit. If you want to bear spiritual fruit, this is what you want to bear in your life. And then Paul makes this wonderful statement at the end. Against such, there is no law. How could somebody find something against you if you had that kind of fruit in your life? As a Christian, we're to bear much fruit. So this episode, chapter 17, is proving that God has made his choice of Aaron and he uses the dead stick that he's brought new life into and this production of fruit that comes from it. And then notice Aaron's sign of authority here in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony or back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. So there's, there's some more judgment for those that are still whining in the background there. So Moses did, verse 11, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So Aaron's rod became one of the three things that are now in the ark. You recall the ark of the covenant, the little box. It's not that big. And I can't imagine Aaron's rod fitting in it. It probably hung out of it or stuck next to it the rod that budded here. But we have the, the ark, and inside the ark are the two tablets of stone that contain the Ten Commandments. Again, they're a reminder. God wants his people to remember his covenant, his contract 
with them. These are the things that I want you to do, 10 of them. And then God had the jar of manna that was inside the ark. And the jar of manna was to cause the people to remember that God has provided for them miraculously. Every day, this wonderful, glistening, honey, white substance fell down, and you could scoop it up and eat it, and it was, it was nourishment. It just fell from the sky. It was provided miraculously, and they loved it. They kept some as a reminder in a jar there in the ark. God wants his people to remember all that he's done for them in the wilderness. And now we have the rod of Aaron is added to that ark because God wants his people and he wants future generations to know that he alone chooses the leadership. That ark represents he chose Aaron. He chose Moses. Don't, make, don't question. Don't rock the boat. If you have a complaint, it's with, with me. You come to me, God says. I select the leadership. So everything in the tabernacle, as you recall, we're in the tabernacle right now in, in a sense because the rod has been brought back into the tabernacle near the ark. And inside the tabernacle, as you recall, everything pointed to Christ. It was all an illustration of the coming Messiah. The tabernacle, the interior of it, the blue curtains with the cherubim embroidered, the angels on the mercy seat, the cherubim, all of the gold and all of the, the fabric, and it all had, a, had signs of heaven, God in heaven surrounded by angels. In John 1.14 the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt. He tabernacled with us. That's what the tabernacle represents. It's a picture of Christ who would one day come and tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled with us. That's what John has in view when he writes that in 1 John 1.14. Then inside the tabernacle, there's the lampstand, right, with the oil. The oil, the continual flow of oil, the burning, the light Jesus is the light of the world, the showbread, representing fellowship, eating a meal, having fellowship with God. The veil separates man from God. It was torn. It was destroyed. It was, it was opened at Calvary when Jesus died on the cross, representing we have access to God, no longer going through this system in the Old Testament to get to God but we have access directly to God. And then when you get into the Holy of Holies, there's the ark and the mercy seat representing redemption for the sins of God's people. And inside the ark, there's the manna, there's the Ten Commandments, there's Aaron's rod, that, but all of that represents Jesus Christ. Jesus, remember in Hebrews, is better than the high priest. And the old covenant, Jesus is better and, and think about this. Jesus wasn't a priest. He was not a priest when he was in the flesh as a man. He was God, but not a priest. He did priestly things. Now he's our priest in heaven, making intercession for us. It's a beautiful picture of what he's doing. Everything in the temple, in the tabernacle, spoke of Jesus Christ. And this rod now has been put there to remind the people 
Now, in the next two verses here, notice we get, this is where we get the bridge between chapter 16 and 17. I'm calling it Israel's conviction, but notice, so, so the children of Israel spoke to Moses. Here's their response. Ah, we're all going to die. We're going to perish. We're all going to die. They're finally realizing their obstinance, their complaining with the leadership, trying to be priests, and they can't because God's chosen. It's God's choice to make a priest. It's God's choice for the leadership. And now they realize we're going to die just like the guys that died in chapter 16, the guys that died yesterday. And really, chapter 16 and 17, you, you could say there was only a day in between those. When they find out they're not allowed to be priests, and they finally realize only Aaron is going to be the priest, and his, his sons are the priests. Eleazar is his son and the other priests that are doing the priestly duties. When they find out they can't do that, they, surely we die, we perish, we all perish. They're afraid because they're finally recognizing what God has been saying, that God has chosen And his choice is Aaron and not them. They're so fickle, these people. The the day before, they were standing up to Moses in the leadership. Some of them died. Then they come back and stand up against Aaron. God proves that he's made the choice. And now they think they're all going to die because of their rebellion. And it's all because, if you think about it, this one stick that buds and produces almonds. They had fear. They had fear of everything that's happening. But they're, they're interesting. Their view here is, is what's interesting. They're right to believe that they're going to die because of their approach. They're right to believe that God will judge them because they were trying to elevate themselves and not wait for God's choice. So they're right in that regard, that they're going to die. They're absolutely correct. They're thinking of the 250 men with the censures. They're thinking of the 14,700 people that died before Aaron ran between the living and the dead, remember, back in chapter 16. They're thinking of all those things and the plague that happened. But they're completely wrong on the second part. Because God has appointed his own person to be a priest and a mediator between them and him. He's chosen Moses to be the mediator. He's chosen Aaron to be the priest, to go before them. The priestly job was to go before God, to take the sins of the people and expiate, propitiate. That was his job. Jesus is the one that's done that. He has gone before. For God, his Father, and he's taken your sin and mine, and it went to the cross, and he hung there on the cross and died willingly with your sin. And in that, he's been displayed as the, doing a priestly thing, going between God and the people, making the sacrifice. And really, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Again, it's on my mind because I'm studying it for, for Sunday night. But God has appointed a better priest for you and I, and it's the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the priest that's done that sacrificial work so that you and I can have forgiveness of our sin. And all we have to do is trust in him. 
We don't have to perform like these people did in the Old Testament. All we have to do is come to him by faith and trust the Lord. And then when we come to him by faith, we connect ourselves to the vine. And when we connect ourselves to the vine, we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That's really the message of this passage. God appoints the way that we're to come to him. That's through the priest, his appointed priest. In this case, it's Aaron, and in our case, it's Christ. Why? Because we can't redeem ourselves. Only God, through his son, Jesus Christ, can provide a way, and he provides the connection, and he provides the life, and he provides the root or the fruit in our lives. What a blessing to be a Christian. So Christians, let's not complain. We do, right? We do. We all do. But let's not complain and murmur. Let's walk by faith, and let's bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen?